Welcome to episode 122 of Marvel Us. I'm your host, Tom Laurie, joined by my sister, Leona Laurie. And tonight we're talking about From 2019, produced by Eric Kripke, Evan Goldberg, and Seth Rogen, The Boys. <laughs> Would you like to recap the, or we're doing the first two episodes? That's what you you, chose. Yeah. Would you like to recap the plot of those episodes? In the first two episodes of the show, The Boys, uh, we meet Huey, a young man with no ambition, who has a girlfriend called Robin and lives with his father, Simon Pegg. And if you told me Simon Pegg was in this, I would have been much keener on watching it because I love him. I wouldn't have known that. Yeah, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, I'll try anything they're in. Hmm. Um, Anyway, so he works in this Radio Shack-looking electronics store and is going nowhere with his life and lives in a version of the world that we live in now, in a version of America, similar to the America you're familiar with. But in this America, superheroes are real. And the most famous superheroes are a group called the Seven. And they live in a tower similar to the one you may recall from uh, the more recent. No, I take it back. Like, don't all of the... No. Which which one of the um, Fantastic Four movies has the apartment that looks like where the boys go? Um, the one I with... Get, I would, the, uh, the 2000s one, yeah. Yoen Grafud. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so if you've seen that see, Fantastic see you've Four. picked up the language. Yeah. Living, living yeah, yeah. <laughs> now that I live in the UK, I can say, yo and grafud. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, the boys, uh, which are not all boys, some of them are girls, uh, they live together in a, a building where the... Vought Corporation is based, and Vought sort of owns, but definitely monetizes the Seven. And um, concurrent to Huey going nowhere in life, a young woman called Annie, aka Starlight, who is also a superhero and has been since birth, um, her powers are super strength and also glowing so bright and shooting light beams out of herself that hit you with force. She can blind people and incapacitate them with light. Um, she's an idealistic young woman, corn-fed from the Midwest, corn-fed from the Midwest, and uh, has spent her childhood and formative years with her single mother on the Bible thumping Ezekiel tour, speaking to fellow Christians around the country and being one of many supers who combines superheroes and Christianity in the modern evangelical rock band sense. And she is auditioning for an opening in the seven that has been left by the retirement of a hero called Lamplighter. So this is where we catch up at the beginning with Annie Starlight and Huey. And one day, Huey's girlfriend, Robin, comes to pick him up from work, 
and tells him that they wouldn't even be dating if she hadn't initiated it because he has no ambition and that he needs to get a raise from his boss because someday they might be living together. And Huey's caught off guard because he's like, what, you want that kind of life with me? And they're standing on the city street and Robin steps down off the curb, technically into the street, but basically right next to the sidewalk. And they're holding each other's hands as she looks up into Huey's eyes to talk about their future together when blammo, she explodes all over him. And it's because the fastest man alive, uh, A-Train, one of the seven, has just run through her at such high velocity that he exploded her. And a shell-shocked Huey, covered in her blood and matter, is holding her Hands that are no longer connected to each other as A-Train looks behind him and is like, oh, sorry, and then leaves. And uh, this sets in motion what happens thereafter. And I think as far as we get in the first couple of episodes is uh, Starlight does get into the Seven and is immediately sexually assaulted by the Deep, the fish-talking superhero, the Aquaman of the group. Um, who was the one she always had a crush on growing up, and that thus begins her disillusionment with her new life as a superhero. And Huey is uh, approached by Vought with a buyout and an NDA. They want to give him $45,000 for his silence about what he saw and to not ever talk about it again. His father, who also has no ambition, wants him to just take the money and accept that Robin's gone and they could use that money. But Huey is adamant that he cannot overlook the fact that it was murder. Um, And so Huey, it's in the first couple of episodes, right, that he gets approached by um, Carl Urban. In this film, he's Billy, or in this show, he's Billy Butcher. And Billy Butcher is a former Fed who is a longtime vigilante, vigilante, who's going after the seven and has spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to kill soups and what they are. Um, and he approaches Huey and recruits him to help plant a bug in the headquarters of the seven with the excuse that he has of going in to get that check after all and uh, guilts him into doing it by pointing out that um, he's got nothing else going on basically now that Robin's gone. And so Huey agrees to do this. And when he goes in, he is seen by translucent, uh, the invisible man member of the seven who's a perv and who hangs out totally nude because that's what he has to be to be invisible in the restroom a lot. And this is one of the other ways in which Starlight's sensibilities have been offended in her early days with the seven. She has seen him materialize nude in the ladies room, or I guess it's a all gender bathroom. And, um, Huey drops the bug. It rolls out of his bathroom stall And he recovers it, but Translucent sees all of this while he's invisible, and he recovers the bug. So after Huey completes his mission and thinks that he's gotten away with it, um, Carl Urban uh, has to save him from Translucent, who follows Huey to work with the bug and confronts him about what he's doing. And 
Together, they capture Translucent, put him in the trunk of Carl Urban's car, and begin an adventure together in Going After the Seven. And also in the first couple of episodes, Huey and Starlight have a meet-cute where they're both sitting on the same park bench, lamenting their fates, where she's sitting there contemplating how she's finally got the only job she ever wanted, and it turns out that everyone in the Seven is terrible, that they are all uh, puppets of the Vought Corporation, and that she doesn't actually get to do any of the heroing that she had anticipated doing. And Huey is lamenting the fact that his girlfriend is dead, and now he's getting sucked into this uh, vigilante lifestyle. And I think those are the major things from the first two episodes. Does that sound I right? Mean, um, Did I go over a little bit? No, you went under, I think. Uh... Oh, yeah. Okay. So, okay. Well, then. So... When they put Translucent in the trunk, they take him off and uh, Butcher recruits Frenchie, a former colleague of his who is a Frenchman with a knack for uh, all kinds of weapons manufacturing and killing. And ultimately, they all wind up in in an abandoned restaurant with Translucent in an electric cage where they are keeping him while they try to figure out how to kill him. And it takes a while, but Frenchie finally gets inspired and realizes that although his skin is made of carbon, his anus isn't. And so they incapacitate him and shove an explosive device up his rear. And then Frenchie and Butcher have to go on a... um mission to create a distraction because they can tell that Homelander, the most psychotic and leader of the seven is on their trail and he's going to find where they've got translucent hidden away. So they blow up Frenchie's headquarters to draw him away. But while they're out in the world setting up that distraction, they leave Huey alone with the detonator and translucent and translucent escapes from his cage very easily and then tries to convince Huey to do the right thing by letting him go. But he's a dick and Huey does not fall for his line. And as translucent goes to leave, Huey plunges the, uh, well, he depresses the plunger and blows up translucent all over the place and for the second time in a very short period is covered with somebody else's blood and matter all over himself Mm -hmm. so um you had been reluctant to watch this series it's true i was uh after you did i was surprised that you contacted me to say you enjoyed it so um uh what do you think of it in more detail well i'll be frank with you tom The reason that I was not more interested in this series is that as copy editor for Geek Girl Authority, I had read a lot of the recaps of this show. Mm. And so reading about these characters without experiencing the performances of the actors or even seeing the full cast, because I didn't realize that Simon Pegg was part of it. Mm. Um, it sounded so Snyder versus Dark on paper. And you know that I don't like a superhero show to be a bummer. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just sounded like uh, convoluted. It reminded me sort of like, you know, some of the other recaps that I've edited that have not sold me on the shows were for like um, Nosferatu or um, what's that one with the brothers who slay demons? Supernatural. Supernatural, where something about hearing what happens in the show just didn't wet my appetite. Mm-hmm. Um, and the actors really make the difference in this. Like the performances are great. And um, I think that all of the recaps that I read were from season two. And so this early foundational stuff was missing from my understanding of the characters, mm. but also a lot of the commentary that they make in the show about society and corporations and um, the like Christianity as a product racket and gay conversion. And I mean, there's so many things that they touch on, uh, the pressure to juice in order to stay relevant as an athlete, like, um, accountability for public figures. There's a lot going on. And also the cast is fantastic. Somehow I didn't realize Elizabeth Shue was in it. I love her. Um, but also it didn't occur to me on paper that the star Huey is Jack. Um, oh my gosh. What is his last name? Wade. Yeah. Jack Quaid, the son of Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid. Mm -hmm. And I'm really enjoying a lot of the young actors whose parents were like the stars of the eighties and nineties. And now, you know, you've got like, uh, Zoe Kravitz and Jack Quaid. And there's so many working actors right now. What's Uma Thurman's daughter who we like so much in stranger things. Uh, Hawk is her last name. I don't know. Well, she's awesome. Anyway, there's, there's a lot of actors in that generation. I really am enjoying. And Jack Quaid is the latest addition to that list. So, I don't know. Honestly, like I was enjoying it in the first few minutes. And then the minute Simon Pegg showed up on screen, I was mm-hmm. like, Tom, I wish I knew Simon Pegg was in this. I mean, he's in it, but he's not a main character. He no, pops but up he's, now and again. A validation but, of the project. That was one of the funny, you know, one of the only interesting bits of trivia is that um, in the comic that it's based on, Huey is based on Simon Pegg. Like he looks like him and is a Scottish, Scottish young guy. Um, so that was a, a fun, you know, pay, paying off in the uh, homage there by having him be Huey's dad in the show. Yeah, I like that. Well, um, you picked this as a jumping off from Falcon and Winter Soldier. So do you want to talk about what inspired that choice? Um, well, uh, this also ties into your uh, concern that it would be Snyder-esque in that I think Zack Snyder does a very dumb guy's interpretation of what if Superman but evil, whereas I think this... Um, I, I kind of hope you you you'll continue watching it. Just oh, it I have really good. That's why oh. I was worried that I'd gone oh, over. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm binging um, it. Uh, this is very much like Homelander is Superman, but evil. But instead of just 
like it's something so annoying about the uh the snyder superman is that his idea of superman but evil is like oh what if superman has one really bad day like, <laughs> what if what if like that's literally you know basically the uh uh the, the falling down perspective of an evil guy mm. um of like oh this you know this you know otherwise normal guy and then some, some bad stuff happens and he just snaps and like the bad stuff in that being what if lois lane died and like this is like no like you know like like huey is a good uh counter to that where it's like yes huey has a very bad day and it's still very hard for him to stick to the script of being the vengeful dude and uh he keeps you know um sympathizing with starlight and sort of falling for her and then like every now and then like uh he'll remember oh yeah my girlfriend died i need to need to stick to the vengeful path but uh and then for um homelander that he's like full-on psychopath but you get the full like exploration of what creates that and it's not just uh you know he was you know a cool superhero and then some bad stuff happened to him it's like no he's like been raised you know he's he was made to be this like uh it was all don't go ahead of me i I won't no spoilers tom um that it's you know a more more complex scenario than um some some bad stuff happened to it and he took it wrong it's Mm -hmm. like you know how how do when when you're creating superheroes how do you create them to be weapons basically mm-hmm. and uh that he's the the worst case scenario for that more or less um and also as a as a parallel to uh falcon and the winter soldier just the idea of you know the super soldier serum and creating superheroes and this gives you a lot of varied perspectives on how that can turn out and uh why why anyone would do that um in the first place that uh like it's it's a very it's it's funny that it's an amazon show because you know the like biggest corporation in the world ruining everything but also made this show that's a very uh poignant critique of capitalism via superheroes which are also a huge market right now Mm -hmm. like it, it sticks it sticks to the concept in ways that um uh falcon and winter soldier was all too eager to be- betray at the end. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's vulgar. Yeah, it's vulgar. It's very violent. Yeah, um, very graphic. Mm-hmm. Although less so than the comic. I haven't. I haven't read much of the comic. It's not. Not did not interest me much. But it's much more um, edgy. And I think this. This like that was most of the trivia I found was just like, ah, oh, this character is you know white in the comic. This character is a man in the comic. Like just you know changes to what characters are like and not really uh particularly inter- interesting uh trivia hmm. but i i really enjoy it i think it's um you know poignant and uh funny and entertaining mm-hmm. yeah and really i'm really enjoying it great cast like the cast only gets better as it goes on good to know i'm looking forward to that yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I got totally sucked into it. I apologize for being so resistant. I invited Alex to watch some of it with me. Uh, he's not as into the superhero thing as you and I are. <laughs> so that's why I haven't watched more because uh, it is something that I can watch when I'm alone and I'm rarely alone anymore. Humble brag. 
Um, something I I found, uh, I don't know, kind of funny, kind of weird. Uh, Anthony Starr, who plays Homelander, both he and uh, Carl Urban are Australian. Oh! And, uh, I think uh, Anthony Starr does a much better American guy than Carl Urban does British guy, which is <laughs> kind of weird, considering. Hmm. Like, I, I didn't even realize Carl Urban was supposed to be British for a, a good portion of the first season. Well, in the first episode, I was like, oh, he finally gets to use his Australian accent. And then yeah, after that, I was like, oh, wait, is he? Maybe he wasn't. Maybe I'm misremembering that. Yeah, it's a, uh, I don't know, an, an odd choice given, you know, how um, loose they are with everyone else's uh, nationality, ethnicity, it's whatever. Like, I don't know why he needed to be British. Uh, well, they make so. enough comments about... Like, people giving him a hard time and him being like, what? I can be assimilated? Like, could you be assimilated from Australia, though? Or, like, is that a right. no-go yeah, for something? A, I don't know. I don't, no Australians in federal agencies or something? I guess uh, they, they just wanted um, British slang more than Aussie slang. Yeah, I'm kind of sorry. I couldn't help myself about watching beyond the two episodes that we were going to talk about today, but it's making it hard for me to <laughs> limit my conversation I, mean, uh, I don't know go as far, uh, far as far as you want because like the first two are good at setting up you know most of the the world and the characters although um you don't meet uh mother's milk until i think the third third episode so like you know that that's about the, the time where they have the, the crew assembled mm -hmm. um but it also only oh like that oh that's something else that um you skipped over from I think it's the first episode is uh, Madeline Stilwell, the uh, Elizabeth she, Shue. Yeah, she's not the CEO of Vought, but is like running the um, superhero program there mm. and is uh, selling. I think it's like the mayor of Baltimore on their local superhero. And uh, he, he wants a better deal and is like, I know about Compound V. And she's like, oh, I, I don't know what that is. Uh, goodbye. And then Homelander kills that dude and his family. He shoots down their airplane with his laser eyes. Yeah. And uh, that's sort of the start of the um, the Compound V storyline, which uh, goes a great deal further in explaining how superheroes, how superheroes have power. Mm. Well. Which is also sort of the tie-in to uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier of that being all about the super the super soldier serum and uh well i think you know it's weirder that in this that it's just like uh, everyone gets the same serum but then it gives you whatever random superhero powers but you know that makes it more fun and also just the way they treat um compound v as like you know a product is uh more interesting hmm. yeah well my impression is that this falls into the vein of superhero stories where uh, there's some latent genetic inclination that whatever the catalyst mm. is hits differently in each person. Um, like the inhumans in shield and yeah. Yeah. Like if you're exposed to the thing, it affects everyone differently. Right. Like, I don't know about you, but since I got my first vaccine shot, I can see through walls. Yeah, I don't have anything cool like that, but there is a, a uh, brief character in the second season that uh, reminds me of my situation. 
It's a guy who barfs acid. <laughs> I look forward to meeting him. He, he's, he's very brief, but um, gross. Gross for, for sure. Like the uh, beard hunter in... Um, uh, <laughs> Doom Patrol. Doom yeah. Patrol. Uh, yeah. Grosser than that, just because, like, you know, you know, imagine a guy who barfs acid, but that's, you know, it's not like he's got um, acid-proof skin. So. Ew. Uh, com- complications and how, how that plays out for him. Ew. Well, I guess I'll see for myself. Did you get to the introduction of, uh, oh, I get, I don't know if they would know her name, but um, where, where they're making adult superheroes? The... The... Uh, Asian girl that they meet in the cage? Yes. Where I am is uh, after Huey has successfully blackmailed Ezekiel and found Mm. out where he, that he is using his um, Bible charity, his Christian charity, to distribute boxes marked polio vaccine to NICUs all around the country and that it's really compound V. And then I saw butcher and mother's milk go to the NICU and meet the baby that is on a drip um, and Mm -hmm. has laser eyes and use that baby to kill two dudes, maybe three. Um, And I don't know the Asian girl's name yet. So far she hasn't spoken at all, uh, but Frenchie is made a connection with her and she has started communicating with him a little bit. Mm. And, uh, at this point, Starlight and Huey have been on, have been dating and she has just sat down with Stillwell and said, I'm not going to be on your reality show. I'm not going to do red carpet events. Um, you're not the boss of me. You know, I was sexually assaulted and it will look really bad for you to fire me from the seven now that I've said that on national television. And Stillwell fired her handler, um, but then was mad. And I think the last thing I saw was uh, Stillwell acknowledging that she knows that when Homelander's standing in the hallway outside of her office <laughs> in front of his own portrait staring at his his face he's actually using x-ray vision to watch her pumping at her desk or doing anything and eavesdropping on her with her his super hearing so she invites him in opens her shirt and then mock breastfeeds him by letting him suck her fingers while she cradles his head in her lap and tells him that he cannot give speeches like he did at the christian fest about how they need to attack foreign enemies he has to be good. Yeah, he's a he's a real creep. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like all the men in the seven are, because you've got Translucent, who hides in the bathroom invisible and watches people. You've got The Deep, who um, forced his penis into um, Starlight's mouth on their first encounter, and tricked her into thinking that he would ruin her if she didn't comply with his sexual demand. Homelander, who's a complete psychopath. A-Train, who's a compound V... What's it called? Yeah. 
Okay, compound V addict is juicing to maintain his status as the world's fastest man and was juiced up when he ran through Huey's girlfriend, Robin. And when he discovers that his own girlfriend, a B-grade superhero uh, slash softcore porn star, basically, um, tipped off the boys to where he'd been running Compound V, he fakes her death. I mean, like, uh, kills her, but fakes that it's a heroin overdose. And then Queen Maeve, closeted lesbian who, um, at this point just keeps letting Homelander make decisions that are killing her on the inside. Um, and who's the one that I'm missing? Black Noir. Oh yeah, Black Noir, who at this point, I haven't seen him do anything except for he, uh, he, drink yeah, from a straw and use some knives. Um, he remains a, um inscrutable figure yeah so he might be fine we don't know but Um, all the other yeah i don't know he's his deal is uh weird he's a weird guy all the other males in the seven are pretty gross well i like that um like mave is conflicted but she's not a good person Mm -hmm. like it shows it you know is she she's like a a uh a, a vision of what Starlight is to become by being part of the Seven, you know, mm-hmm. that, like, this is the compromise you make for fame, that you aren't actually there to be a superhero and save people, that mm-hmm. you're there to, you know, be, be like an actor, be, you know, to, to get ratings and sell products and stuff. Yeah. I want to ask you spoiler questions, but I will just watch the show instead. Um, what are the questions? Well, I want to know if Starlight escapes or if when Huey's going to tell her the truth about what he's up to or like, I don't know, but don't tell me. I'll just keep yeah, watching. No, that's all stuff that'd be more interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, the first season is really strong and lays out like a, a cool world and a lot of cool conflicts and, and relationships and stuff. And then I think the second season really uh, builds on all of it well. Oh, that's good to hear. I'm like, I'm not, I think the second season ends in kind of an odd place, like um, kind of counter to a lot of what they had been doing that far, but also in such a state that like it, it could be setting up something interesting that you know, I'm, I'm still curious to see more. And also introduces a lot of uh, similar but interesting dynamics of, like, you know, other groups interplay with uh, the superhero industry. Is there a season three, Tom? It's been... I I think it's filming right now or something. It Mm. won't be out for a minute. I knew it wasn't out, but is it guaranteed? Uh, Probably probably next year. Hmm. Um, were there any characters that stood out in particular to you? Stood out in any specific way? Like that you particularly like or dislike? So far, I've had moments of very strong affinity for pretty much all of these characters in terms of like really appreciating them, even if I don't like them. Mm. Um, I think Huey is extremely engaging. 
I think uh, young Jack Quaid is doing a fantastic job with that role. And I, I like seeing him... Like, it seems like when Robin tells him in the first episode that they wouldn't even be dating if she hadn't pursued him because he didn't ever make a move. Um, the way that he reacts to that is like, it's the first time that he's considered himself that way. And then when his dad is trying to convince him to take the payoff money and not fight because they're not fighters, it's like, you know, it it seems like this is the beginning of an awakening Mm -hmm. for him where he hadn't really questioned anything about his go nowhere life until, um, he found out like maybe he had thoughts like this in his, in himself because he tells us later, tells his dad later that he hates sitting in front of the TV and watching it. Like they're already dead. And you know, that like maybe he hasn't been content with his life, but it seems like it's shocking to him to find out that other people have been noticing the state of affairs and that in Robin's case, she's been pushing him without him realizing that that's what's moving him forward. And his dad's case, he hasn't been pushing him and kind of wants him to stay stagnant. Yeah. Um, and then along comes this life changing moment. And in the aftermath, Billy butcher, who's like, like in their first encounter is like basically shit or get off the pot with your life. (sighs) And he finds it so exhilarating to do something that he's sort of inspired to keep taking these additional steps and, and discovers inadvertently that he has kind of a gift for this vigilante game that he's getting sucked into and um, is good at thinking on his feet and can do the violence when he has to and is an adept liar and like mm-hmm. all of these things that he definitely had no idea uh, of before he got into this situation. And like you say, you know, he really likes Starlight and wants to be, and it wants to be on her side. His, his natural inclination is towards her, but then he'll see an, a, a vision of Robin looking disappointed and it will remind him of what's just happened and what his mission is and help him stick to it. But I just think that he's playing it so well. It's like completely, in, he he sells it. He, I, I believe him in this role, like very, very much. And honestly, I think that's true of pretty much all of them. Like even Elizabeth Shue, who, you know, I've been familiar with since probably I think the first thing I knew her. Well, I know she was in The Karate Kid, but the thing that I always associate her with is Adventures in Babysitting. Mm. And, you know, so that's like the early and mid-80s that I was first knowing her as an actress. And I really love her in this role as, like, capable single mom career gal who is managing all of these strong personalities for the sake of her corporate overlord, but does not seem like any of it is an ill fit for her. Like she's just, she seems totally at ease in the life that she's agreed to. Um, I don't know every single person in it. So far there hasn't been a wrong note for me. I like each person better in their portrayal of their role with each episode. Like even Homelander, who's like such a psycho Mm -hmm. and you don't like his character at all. Like 
you have to appreciate this take on superheroes. It is, it feels fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Starr is so good as home. It's like so menacing all the time. Mm-hmm. Like no matter what the scenario is, and not like, like, Oh man, this guy's going to snap. Just like that. You can never be sure what he's going to do. He's, uh, just so so obviously unhinged but also so obviously always putting on a face that like uh you never know when it's gonna slip and uh that you know that also that he's like you know superman and that like um uh, unlimited power basically that uh he's a real real unnerving character Mm. in a way that i've not seen done before with the evil superman idea kind of thing and I also really like the um, the contrast between, like, you get it most between, like, uh, Annie and A-Train, mm. where she's so obviously, you know, she's had a real easy go of it, basically, up to this point mm. of, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, the nice, I you know, even though she has a single mom, they still have a really nice house, really nice, idyllic, Midwestern, middle class, upper middle class lifestyle, uh, involved in all this church stuff to get her up to this point and whereas a train hints at that like you know it wasn't it wasn't that easy for him that he actually had to work for you know th- like um he outran bullets when he was three and yeah, that's that, how like, they found out about his superpower but it's because there was a shooting in front of his house in his bad neighborhood that like the i uh, the idea of getting getting to that point and being willing to put up with the, um, you know, the darkness and the bullshit of being a member of the Seven because it is better than what you lived through before. And, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's worth it. Whereas uh, it's a lot easier for her to be like, oh, all, all of this is bad and evil compared to her life before. Mm. And, uh, that you know, that she's also probably, like, the the age difference between her and the other most of the rest of the seven that they're all probably like you know earlier generation of superheroes so that this is like all they've ever known whereas she gets to have come up through this established system and believe the propaganda basically that it was supposed to be something more Mm. but yeah i like i like how layered everyone is and uh how thoughtful the world is is constructed Mm, mm mm-hmm mm-hmm is there anything from this you would want to see in the MCU? Oh. Somehow, despite the fact that that's a question we ask in every Phase 2 episode of our podcast, I hadn't given it any thought for this particular thing. You know, it's interesting. I keep thinking of the Guardians of the Galaxy lately, and I think that this is hitting a mark that I wish that would hit somehow like that there's um humor in this show and um an ensemble kind of feel to the the crew of the boys like they're they're in that same like sometimes we're the good guys sometimes we're the bad guys kind of category like you know they're fighting for right but their methods are dodgy all the way through um But it's like they, 
there's an authenticity to this show in all the characters and how the scenarios play out so far. There's a believability to it. And with Guardians, I don't ever feel that way. Yeah, you um, get a sense of the like the depth of their relationships that is missing in Guardians. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, Huey and Starlight hugging each other at the end of Ezekiel's revival show um, when at the beginning of their conversation she was feeling really used by him because he asked for tickets to see Ezekiel in person uh, for free and she had just bombed with the crowd by opening up on stage about how she's questioning her faith and had been sexually assaulted and everything and he confides in her finally that his girlfriend's died recently and gives her a version of the truth about what drew him to that event and how he valued what she said. And then they hug each other. And in that moment, I was thinking, okay, so at this point, these two people have known each other for a handful of weeks at the most. And it hasn't been that long since Robin died. And um, his grief is very real for his girlfriend. She is still... Actually, she says to her mom, you don't know how hard these months have been. So it's been a few months since she got sexually assaulted. And that was about the same time that Robin died. So let's say they've known each other for like six months. But they haven't been seeing each other consistently during that time. They're like friends and they've hung out a few times. But you don't question their chemistry or... Like, there's there's an emotional complexity to their bond in that moment. It's not like, oh, they're going to fuck now, you know? Like, there's nothing mm-hmm. superficial about it. it. It feels very authentic. And so even though what you're seeing is uh, a superhero girl and a boy who's just committed blackmail of a world-famous preacher having this fantastical exchange in this fantastical universe, there's such an authenticity to their connection and their emotions that the fact that they haven't known each other for very long doesn't stop you from thinking, oh, there's something going on with those two. And, you know, they just rushed the whole Gamora and... Star-Lord thing in a way that Mm -hmm. was like so inauthentic to what we were presented about her character in particular. Like he's supposed to be this like careless womanizer and she's supposed to be this hardened assassin warrior. And somehow she's like dancing with him at the assassin hangout before too long. And like, you know, all of it seems so inauthentic to what we've been told about them that it isn't, I don't, I don't get the buy-in. It would be Mm -hmm. nice if like, you know, the relationships and the character development in guardians in particular felt more like what I'm seeing in this show. And, you know, I think like the fact that in this, they're able to go there with language and graphic depictions of violence and stuff like, um, 
I mean, I'm sure that makes that kind of authenticity easier. Like we don't have to infer uh, some of Huey's trauma because we've seen it and she doesn't have to beat around the bush about the bad thing that happened to her that soured her on the superhero life. Like, you know, there's some stuff that in the MCU, they're probably never going to be graphic or Mm. explicit about that, that is contributing to our understanding of what these characters are processing when they're interacting with each other. But like, I still think that you could, I think you could honor the boundaries of the MCU and still get the depth of character development and chemistry that we're seeing in this show so far. Yeah, definitely. How about you, Tom? Um, well, I mean, the thing I, I wanted from Falcon and Winter Soldier that this does of actually cynically looking at the institution and creation of superheroes. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't ever really expect uh, the MCU to commit to that. But something else I really like in this is Homelander as a villain, where he shares a lot of uh, similarities to villains in um, MCU stuff where it's like, oh, we're going to give this villain you know depth and give the audience understanding of them give them a real backstory and stuff but then you know they're still gonna die at the end but hopelander presents this obstacle of like he you know you can't just like they have no way to just kill him so you're you're gonna have to deal with him at some point like there you know there's no easy answer there's no easy resolution at the end you aren't gonna shoot a magic beam at him and then he goes away that uh he is um, fucked up and layered and evil, and you're gonna have to do something. Like, they're going to have to resolve that somehow in probably a more uh, complicated way than just, um, you know, a laser. And I wish any MCU villain got that much consideration of actually having to, uh, like, e- e- like they, they never even, lo- they rarely ever even lock them up, you know? It's always just like, we get to kill them at the end, and then it's resolved. And, uh, I don't know, they don't deserve that sort of easy resolution. Hmm. You have any final thoughts? Yeah. I have been thinking about the slate of MCU offerings that's coming forth this year and embarrassment of riches compared to what we got last year. And, um, one of the things that I'm particularly looking forward to is Dr. Strange Hmm. and, Of the films in the MCU so far, the original Doctor Strange is not my favorite and not one that I've returned to aside from for the podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, But I found myself thinking ahead to the next one so much. Um, I'm intrigued by the idea, like now that they've announced that that Deadpool 3 is going to be in the MCU, and since we know that they are talking about Doctor Strange like it's going to be more horror. Um, they've got Danny Elfman scoring it. Like, there's some elements that are making me curious about what they're going to do with it. And having seen WandaVision and um, knowing that, like, knowing that it's likely that Wanda and Doctor Strange are going to be allies rather than adversaries and whatever they're going up against. Um, I just decided I wanted to watch it again and refresh my memory of it. And I, I think that 
the villains are set dressing in that film. Like, you know, they don't, Dr. Strange is his own, he's the villain in his Mm -hmm. story in that film, really. Um, But yeah, I hope that the, I hope that the things that are coming out this year fulfill more of the promise of this next phase of the MCU. And, you know, for all of the flaws that you have identified in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I mean, they, they started with a, I mean, really WandaVision is Wanda's show and has a female villain. And then, um, two out of three of the team members who are coming in to try to save the day are women, a black woman, an Asian man, and a a white woman. And, you know, I think that in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, with Falcon's evolution from being handed the shield to deciding that he will take it and, and sort of like walking us through what that would look like for a black man to pick up the mantle of Captain America and spending so much time with his black community and his sister, you know, the Dora Milaje making another appearance. Like there's, there's definitely room for improvement, but I think it's worth acknowledging how many of the points we've harped on over the course of our podcast that they did incorporate into the first couple of offerings this year. And, you know, that what we think we know of the slate of things coming through the rest of this year continues to go further with diversity in front of and behind the camera. And, um, you know, hopefully you'll get more magic, what you're always looking for. And, um, you know, if, if the horror and potential for our ratings hold, like maybe Dr. Strange could be something really interesting. The end, that was sort of a rambling thought, but don't forget that it's late where I am and I'm sleepy. Mm. Hopefully it made enough sense that you got, that you don't think I wasted your time. No, um, I, I, I mostly agree. I like, I hope you know, that now they've made so much progress with sort of the aesthetic or superficial aspects of representation that they do ever go deeper with it. And like, like, I I don't know, like, I I like, like, it's frustrating to look at, um, to compare some, something like Falcon and A-Train where it's like, Falcon's just this total, um, surface level neoliberal dude and then Mm. a train is way more like you know he's not he's not heroic but he is way more complicated and way more interesting Mm -hmm. especially as the series goes on and uh and he's not even like one of the main characters you know and like uh i don't know i hope they can manage something like that like something you know if they're if now that they have the more diverse uh, cast of characters to actually honor that with the complexity of that. Mm-hmm. Join us next time and we'll be returning to uh, discuss the end of season one of The Boys. Bye. Bye. <laughs>